Hi, everyone. Uh, my name's Dan, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, and, and as was mentioned, I am a, a member of Westside Agnostics. Um, you know, I, I, it's very cool now that we have this entire international community of, of uh, free thinkers, agnostics, uh, whatever else people wish to be known as. Um, but um, that is my my background. I was a member of that group for I don't know. I've been attending those meetings for probably as long as they've been around seven or eight years, um, and have been very blessed to to have them in my community. But um, I will backtrack. Um, thanks to the literally several hours notice Marcia gave me, um, this the share may be a little unfocused in the sense I haven't really had time to kind of conjure up a topic or a theme. Um, so you're probably just stuck with some kind of general lead version of uh, what it was like, what happened and what it's like now, um, for which I apologize in advance as my life isn't very interesting. Um, so I, I don't, other than Jack, maybe no one has suffered through these musings before, but um, I, uh, you know, I think I'm a, a pretty decent case study in the idea of alcoholism as as fundamentally a, a brain disease and, and a mental illness. Um, and what I mean by that is that I I, I don't have a lot uh, by way of uh, trauma or or misfortune in my story that wasn't of my own doing. Um, you know, I was born to to a couple of hippie parents. Um, you know, my mom was at Woodstock, and I got all these pictures of my dad at sit-ins in college and. Um, you know, they they had me and then they kind of went straight and moved into the city and, you know, my dad had a good job. My mom stayed home with us. Um, I am the oldest of five children, um, which is weird because my parents aren't Catholic or Mormon and don't really even like each other. So how they had five children, I haven't the faintest notion. But um, regardless, I am the oldest of those children, um, you know, and I I on one hand, there was really nothing wrong with our life. We had everything we wanted, needed, blah, 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 safe, uh, taken care of. Um, but I was just never a happy critter, man. Like straight away from the time I was a little kid, I was just a belligerent shit. And, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't have a lot of explanation for that, right? Like it wasn't, I look back at that and I'm not like, why was I, why was I such a dick? Like, I wish I hadn't done that. It's like, that's just, you know, you're five, right? You're just wired. Um, you're going to do what you're going to do. Um, and I, I just mentioned that because I, I don't think, you know, it, it, there wasn't a lot of uh, nurture explanation for that. That's just, um, you know, I was not happy and I don't know why. And I was worried all the time and I felt different and outside of all the time, um, even though there was really no uh, demographic or or whatever narrative for that um and you know from the time i was in elementary school i was always in trouble i was fighting i was blah 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 um you know and as i got a little more agency um i pretty much immediately started exhibiting what i now kind of recognize as as you know pre-alcoholic behavior um and what i mean by that is that i i i immediately started gravitating towards things that I could do to immediately make myself feel better and immediately abusing them, right? So I started overeating and I started shoplifting and I started, you know, doing things like that, 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 you know, when you're too young to do drugs and alcohol, they're, they're, 
things that I could do to take myself out of myself and make myself feel better in the moment, damn the consequences later. Um, and so, uh, you know, by the time I was old enough to start drinking or using drugs, I was already, you know, well on the path to that kind of uh, behavior. Um, you know, early in high school, um, I started doing what everybody does and drinking beer and smoking pot. And I was instantaneously kind of enamored of it. Um, again, in part because it kind of gave me um, a, an escape from my daily dreariness. And secondarily, because I think it kind of gave me a community. You know, I talked about how when I was younger, I kind of felt not a part of or, or different. Um, you know, and I, you hear this a lot in meetings, but like being a, a stoner and being a party guy and being those things gave me a community of people with whom to associate, uh, many of whom probably had similar feelings um, about themselves, um, whether those were discussed or not at the time, I somewhat doubt, but I think, you know, in hindsight, you look back and, and that's kind of um, why a lot of folks end up in that, that population. Um, so, you know, oddly enough, things like from a, a headspace point of view kind of got a little better from there for a while because I, you know, I did, I, I did feel like I had friends and I had things to do. And admittedly, those things to do were like go smoke pot under a bridge and throw rocks at cars. But like, at least that was better than sitting at home by myself, in my humble opinion. Um, you know, what didn't get better was like my behavior and, and uh, my external kind of relations with the world. Um, so, you know, I graduated high school by dint of sheer good fortune. Um, you know, I had a 3.02 GPA and was like second to last in my class. And, um, you know, and this was fully born of just outright belligerence. I had you know, incredibly good board scores and, and was all by all accounts a, a bright kid, but um, just abjectly refused to do anything. Um, wouldn't write papers, wouldn't do homework, just no. Um, and actually, and then I almost got thrown out of high school for various and sundry acts of deviousness and some teachers and my parents had to kind of intervene and get me sent off to university early, um, which was miraculous and undeserved in every material respect, which is mostly the story of my life. Um, you know, and of course I just took it for granted and was like, well, you know, this is stupid and everything's stupid. Um, but I, I, I only mentioned that because I, I think, you know, now, well, I'll get into that, but, but I'll just say I've been, I've been really lucky. Um, so, you know, I went, college the next year I was barely I'd skipped fourth grade so I was like 16 maybe I lived in moved into a dorm totally ill-suited for such an adventure um, spent the whole year drinking doing drugs being in a bad band um, etc um, and you know at the end of that year I, I um, you know and I spent I think I really started kind of doing a number on my brain at that point. My like, you know, I would take acid like multiple days in a row and just stay awake. And um, by the end of that year, I just kind of cracked and I was supposed to move with my buddies to Portland and, you know, with this band I was in. And I just kind of wimped out at the end and slunk back home. Um, 
and got really depressed and thought all about I was going to kill myself and blah, 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 blah. Um, and I spent about a year doing that. Um, and, you know, by the end of it, I was, uh, I, I got put on, I think this was right about the time Prozac came into the universe um, and I got put on it um, and it helped me kind of, cause I was mostly sober that time I was at home. I, I really wasn't drinking or using. I was just staying up all night reading and then sleeping all day and doing that over and over again. Um, but I do have like a history of, of, of other mental illness, I guess is part of the narrative here um, in, in the sense that I've been seriously depressed as in that case and, and I've generally had an anxiety issue my whole life. Um, so, you know, I spun my way out of that or, or, or pharmaceuticals spun me out of it, however you want to look at it. Um, and I kind of had this like great revelation that suited me for about the next 10 years, which was that if I put forth like 2% effort instead of 0% effort at like school or work or girls or whatever, everything's fine. Um, so why don't you just do that so that you can spend the other 98% of the time fucking off without getting everybody angry at you. Um, so I went back to college and, you know, started like doing my work and getting good grades and blah, blah, blah. And everybody pretty much left me alone about the fact that I was drinking and doing drugs all the time. Um, and, you know, that was really what college was. I was starting to get a little more out of control in a little more overt ways. I was starting to get arrested because I was like, you know, thought that I could do whatever I wanted. Um, and, you know, I was doing selling drugs in really unsafe ways and generally making bad decisions. Um, and, and it's really at that point though, that like my actual alcoholism kind of began to take off. Um, that is all this kind of narrative about using drugs and whatever, it was still recreational in the sense that like, it wasn't a problem for me to not drink or use drugs on a particular day if there didn't happen to be any around, you know, it was just, um, and and college, you know, that kind of ceased to be the case at some point. I started, um, you know, I'd go out with my buddies on like Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights and drink and do whatever. Um, but I started drinking by myself, you know, at the end of the day on Wednesday and then on Sunday and then on Monday and then on, you know, and by the time I was done, uh, with college, the university, with undergrad, I, I was drinking, you know, if not every night. And when I say I was drinking, I mean, I was drinking to black out and go to sleep. Um, that's how I got to sleep. Um, you know, and, and I, I guess there was a part of me that at that point in time, because I was doing it without any real consequences, um, you know, little things like getting arrested or, or, or pissing off some person in my life didn't feel like real consequences at the time. Um, and, you know, so, so I kind of romanticized it. I mean, I was like an English literature major and I was in all these bad bands and, and kind of hanging out with those, you know, that, that was kind of my thing. And, you know, all the, all the great writers and musicians and whatever were, were alcoholics or druggies or both or crazy. And so I, I kind of just felt like that was, you know, part of who I was, part of, of what I was supposed to be doing at that point in my life. And, um, you know, while occasionally I would have a stray thought of like, 
this is going to be problematic when I like can't not drink um, at some point in my life um, because it wasn't problematic in the moment. Um, it didn't really, you know, even though I knew I was, I guess what I'm saying is even though I knew I was in the process of developing, developing this alcohol and drug problem, um, I kind of was like, eh, what are you going to do? You know, it's life in the big city, kid. Um, so I met a, the woman who would become my ex-wife. Yeah, there you go. Um, right around the time I would probably have otherwise been leaving the college town I was living in. Um, and uh, she was several years younger than I was. So I ended up sticking around there and working at the university and uh, getting, getting a graduate degree. And, you know, it just kind of allowed me to continue that same college like behavior for another several years now into my middle 20s. Um, you know, I remember she, she was a sweetheart and, and I, for reasons I'll get into later, feel pretty awfully about how that relationship ultimately ended up working out. But, um, you know, I remember before we even moved in together telling her like, you shouldn't move in with me. I'm an alcoholic. Like I can't, I drink every day. Um, and she was like, oh, it's no big deal. You'll be fine. I was like, all right, whatever, lady. Um, so, you know, predictably enough, it wasn't fine. Um, and I spent most of our relationship together over the course of many years, lying, hiding, uh, you know, being deceitful about my drinking, my drug use, my promiscuity, numerous and sundry other matters. Um, but, uh, you know, for whatever reason, that was another one of those things where I was kind of like, well, you know, this just seems like the path of least resistance to be in this relationship and have this person in my life. And she takes care of a lot of stuff. And so, you know, I, I, I was ready to leave that place and go to law school. And I thought, well, I guess I'm supposed to marry her now. So I did. Um, and I, you know, more formally took her hostage than I already had. Um, so I dragged her up to law school with me and um, law school was very much like a, a paradise for a great boon for an alcoholic, I'll tell you. Um, it's, you know, it's a setup where like you don't have to do anything. Um, your entire grade in law school is on one four hour exam at the end of the semester. Um, so there's no homework that anyone's going to, you know, turn in. There's no papers to write. There's no research to do. Um, of course, there's all those things, but you don't have to do them if you don't want to. Um, and so, you know, I would spend all semester just hanging out with the kids who were six or seven years younger than me. I was in my late 20s at that point um, and going to bars and getting drunk and being an awful critter and, um, you know, uh, but Predictably enough, everything worked out fine. Um, you know, got good grades. Um, it was that was when I first started to get like really scared about my drinking in the sense that I, I knew I couldn't quit. Um, those were the first times I remember um, being like, okay, I have a law school final tomorrow. I probably not adequately prepared. Um, it's a really big deal that I, I do well on these exams. So I'm not going to get drunk tonight. So I'm not hungover tomorrow morning. And 
I would be laying in bed, unable to sleep at midnight or one in the morning, and I would get up and end up drinking. And I, I realized for the first time that like, I, I could not not drink like for a day. Um, and that was kind of like a scary revelation that I just kind of tucked in my hat and pretended not to notice, but, but I did. Um, and I started thinking, you know, like this long academic boondoggle is going to come to an end here relatively soon. I had gotten a job at a, a, a big law firm um, here and, um, you know, I knew I was going to have to like at least feign a little bit more adultism in, in relatively short order. And, and I, you know, I was scared, but I didn't really know how to change anything or even if I wanted to or what that would look like. Um, so I just kept bopping along, getting drunk, you know, um, and uh, I think one of the <laughs> for, uh, omens of things to come, I think on like our, one of the last nights of law school, maybe the nights we finished our finals, um, I, you know, had taken a bunch of ecstasy and I got really drunk and everybody, you know, the whole law school class was at some party at some bar. And I just like collapsed. Um, don't remember this, but apparently I just collapsed in front of the entire law school class and got taken out in an ambulance and woke up in an emergency room. And, um, you know, of course it was all just hilarious and whatever, but it, it kind of wasn't. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I thought it was hilarious at the time. My, my now ex-wife, did not predictably enough, but um, in hindsight, it was kind of a forebearer of, of things to come. Um, so I moved to Cleveland. Um, this I would have been about 29 years old at this point. Um, and, uh, you know, I started this job that, well, I, I passed the bar, same deal as law school. I tried not to drink, it didn't work. I got drunk, I passed anyway, um, you know, and I just kept getting away with shit. Um, but I started this job and, and I quickly realized that I was like not going to be able to get rid of, get away with this for long. Like it's one thing to pass an exam here or there or step up at a job now and again, but this was like a, you know, 70 or 80 hour a week, travel all over the place, um, you know, stand up in front of federal judges uh, kind of job. And, uh, you know, I, hung on for a couple of years. Um, but towards the end of, I think my second year there, um, you know, and I, when I say I hung on, I mean, I, I would work from the minute I got up until the earliest possible minute I could stop, whether that was 5 PM or 10 PM, depending on the day. And then I would get blackout drunk as quickly as I could pass out and do it over again. Um, every so often I'd have a few days off and I'd just like do an impossibly large amount of cocaine and, you know, try to drink myself to death. Um, and this all, you know, while it all sounds very dark, like at the time there was also an edge of like, you know, I thought this was like very impressive and, and fascinating that I could do that, you know, this, well, but succeed moderately at least in this career while also um, drinking and drugging in that manner. Um, you know, in hindsight, I'm sure I just looked like an ass. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm embarrassed sometimes when I see some of those people I worked with back then about not just 
the obvious failings in my professionalism, but but just in kind of the attitude that I had of of entitlement and uh, the general lack of self awareness and et cetera. Um, you know, I try not to dwell too much on that stuff because I don't really think it profits me anything. But um, you know, it is a, a fact of of my drinking career anyway that that I I was no doubt infinitely more obnoxious than I realized at the time. Um, anyway, um, so after a couple of years, I finally hit a wall and I, I just, I got up one morning and I couldn't do it. You know, I'd been drunk for four days in a row and I was supposed to go and do God only knows what very serious legal thing, uh, slight eye roll, um, you know, and I just couldn't do it. Um, and I, you know, told my wife at the time, like, I can't go to work today. I, I, all I want to do is start drinking and, and I'm shaking and, you know, I just can't do it. So I went off for first of what would be many trips to rehab. Um, I will not regale you with all of them. I will say that that first trip, um, you know, I had a very bad attitude, um, part of which I think is perhaps relatable to this crowd in the sense that, you know, one of the first things that happened is they sent me to an AA meeting. Um, I was in a hospital. I was in the Cleveland Clinic, for Christ's sakes. And they sent me to an AA meeting down the hall and people said a prayer with God in it and all this shit. And I was just like, what the actual fuck is going on here? Like, I am in a world-class medical facility and your solution to my malady is to pray with these degenerates? Like, what the actual fuck? Um, you know, now, hindsight being what it is, that was actually a pretty good solution to my malady, but I didn't appreciate that at the time. Um, you know, I was just like, absolutely not. This is stupid. You know, sober me up. I admit I'm physically addicted to alcohol. I cannot stop drinking. Um, you know, keep me uh, full of Librium for a few days, taper me off, get me out of here, but don't ask me to go to AA meetings. You know, that's not I'll, I'll go see a therapist, whatever. Um, so, you know, predictably enough, that lasted about as long as uh, my attitude would suggest. I was sober for a month or two, and then the first time anything went not the way I wanted it to go, I was back off and running. Um, and, you know, I think I was still married at the time, and things just kind of started cascading downward from there. Um, through a series of uh, rehabs and DUIs. And, you know, it was, it, it just started becoming its own self-fulfilling prophecy. So, you know, I went to rehab out in California and I got drunk in the San Francisco airport on the way home. And I came home and my wife was like, yeah, this isn't working out you know and i was like okay cool and then you know i drank over that and then i got went to rehab and then i got out of rehab and drank over losing my job and then i got a dui you know it's just kind of like something bad would happen because i was drinking and then that something bad would be the excuse to keep drinking and you know i'd go to treatment and i'd be sober for 20 minutes and and i you know and i had my law firm had like paid me to go away for various and sundry reasons. And so I like had money and time and nothing else to do, which wasn't super great. Um, so there's a couple year period there, probably from like, I don't remember now, 2010 to 2012 or something like that, um, where all I really do is 
stay sober for a month, go to rehab for a month, get arrested, you know, go to the emergency room. Um, and I spent a lot of time like nearly dead during that period. I had several seizures. I was like driving while having DTs and, you know, ending up in the emergency room with alcohol poisoning and then like getting out and going to the hotel next door and drinking again until I ended up in the same emergency room with alcohol poisoning 48 hours later. Just like, it was crazy. I, I'm not, this is not some story of how cool all that was. It was awful. And I was by myself. None of this was like some, you know, uh, party. This was just like drinking suicidally because I had gotten to a point where I couldn't see a way out. Um, and so after a couple of years of that, I end up, you know, I'm unemployed, I'm unemployable. I have no license. I have no car. I have no money. I have no girlfriend. I have, I'm living in a halfway house. Um, you know, uh, kind of last house on the block type of situation. Um, start drinking again. Um, go, I'm downtown in Cleveland. I know not everyone is, most people here are not from Cleveland, but there's a, a big kind of open air mall type thing down, open air is the wrong word, a big kind of mall, a train station thing down there. Um, that I was in called Tower City. And for some reason, I'm just walking around in there drinking vodka out of a Gatorade bottle for several, like a day and I get arrested and just go back and proceed to do so. I'm like about as close to being a wandering kind of archetypal homeless drunk as you could be. Um, and I pass out on this escalator and I fall down and the middle of lunch and like get dragged out of there on a stretcher in front of hundreds of people. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, when I came to in the hospital that time, um, I guess I was just like a little bit more willing to listen. Um, and you might think, oh, it's because that terrible thing happened. But like, really, those things have been happening for a couple of years at that point. Um, so I don't, I don't know why at that point I was, I was a little like just a little bit willing to listen, but I was, um. And so, you know, needless to say, all those times I'd been in and out and in and out of the um, of rehab, they had, uh, you know, continually be telling me I should be going to AA, I should be working the program. And I'd kind of just like iteratively gotten done the least possible thing at every stage. You know, I'd start going to meetings because I was on paper and then I'd get a sponsor because some, you know, program told me I had to get a sponsor and then, you know, but I was just fighting it the whole way. And then finally, like that time, for whatever reason, I, I just, act, I actually did the program, you know, I got a sponsor, I worked the steps, I went to like five meetings every week. Um, you know, I, I made coffee, I did, did all the stuff, um, you know, and, and things really, they got better, um, right away um you know and and i don't just mean like in a practical way i mean i got better in a practical way too but but i you know um i i finally kind of could start to see a future for myself that didn't involve drinking and drugging um, and i think that had been like a big part of the, the narrative hold on my life for a long time is that it was just really difficult for me to imagine um, wanting to like go through life without 
being able to look forward to the kind of euphoria and release of, of drinking and drugging. Um, I could imagine a world in which I didn't drink and drug all the time. Indeed, that was the world I wanted to live in. I wanted to go back to the functional alcoholism I'd had 10 years ago, damn it, um, and tried many times um, to no avail. But it was really hard for me to imagine being kind of content and happy in a world where I never drank and I didn't get to look forward to drinking or doing drugs or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, that time being sober for, for more than a month or two, being sober for like a year really kind of gave me a view into how that could happen, you know, how I could be content um, and, and be comfortable in my own skin. And it was really because, you know, I, I feel like it wasn't just because I like did the steps, it was really more because I like got into the program and started to meet people um, who were like me, you know, who were fall down no good loser drunks who are now sober people and happy and had lives that brought them meaning and, and purpose and um anyway um I'll, I'll kind of just abridge the next 10 years um because i've been too narrative as it is but um you know i have not been sober since then um I was sober for about a year. I relapsed for like a weekend. I was sober for two and a half years. I relapsed for like a week and a half. I was sober for another year, blah, blah, blah. I've been sober almost four years now. Um, but the last time I went out was, you know, I, I, I will say this just by way of noticing the progression and the disease um, that, you know, the last time I went out um, was, uniquely and comically unfortunate um uh, comically might not be the right word but i i i was just straight to like maximum self-destruction like i i was um i didn't even start drinking i was like i think what i'm gonna do is just snort fentanyl and smoke crack all day um because fuck it that's why um and I did that for a couple of months, along with drinking or whatever else I happened to feel like doing that day. And, you know, again, I was repeatedly hospitalized and overdosed and almost died of pneumonia and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, that's been the way it's been when I've relapsed over the last 10 years. Um, so, like, you know, I know at this late date that, like, not only can I not drink successfully, that, like, the, the the Russian roulette gun has like five bullets in it, yeah. not one, you know, like there's not, I can't do that. You know, I can't just be like, eh, things suck. I'm gonna relapse again and get sober again and it'll be fine. Like I, I don't necessarily have a lot more bites of the apple. Um, okay, so that was all very dour and unfortunate. Um, I guess I'll talk a little bit about kind of the ways that that my life has improved in the program, um, and and really specifically in in Westside Agnostics. So you know, I had come into the program um, in kind of traditional AA. Um, I had mentioned that that had given me numerous misgivings. I did in fact find some people who, while in traditional AA, were were more than willing to kind of accommodate my skepticism and and work with me on it. Um, and, and I, you know, continue to have a lot of friends like that now in, in AA. Um, 
but um, it was still like kind of difficult in a weird way because I had all of these kind of pointless resentments built up against the program. Um, more about kind of the intellectual dishonesty of pretending it wasn't founded in Christianity and blah, 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 than, than in the actual application of the program in my own life. Um, and, and, you know, they just kind of gave me this bullshit excuse, right? I mean, that's all it really ever was um, to like decide that AA wasn't for me at any particular juncture. Um, and so, you know, when I first found um, these agnostic meetings back whenever it would have been now, I don't know, eight years ago, seven years ago, um, I was like, it, it was, it really did change my life um, because it was really the first time that I found meetings that I wanted to go to, um, that I look forward to. Um, and it was the first time I really found people who I wanted to spend time with outside of the program. Like it wasn't something I was doing out of a sense of obligation or a sense that this was what I needed to do to stay sober and have the rest of my life. Um, the people in Westside Agnostics kind of really became part of my life and, and, and a really important part of my life. Um, and, you know, that originally what got me in the door of these meetings and what made them feel different was the kind of free thinking, whatever you want to call it, nature of them. Um, but predictably enough, what really kept me around were the people, you know, I just, I, I, fell in love with the people in those rooms um, and, and they felt relatable to me in a way that maybe not everyone else I'd met in AA had. Um, and there's not really any particular reason for that. I mean, they're a, a bright and interesting group of people, but they weren't the first bright or interesting people I'd met in the program. I, I don't know. Maybe it had more to do with where I was. But, um, you know, during that time, I think the most important thing that's kind of changed for me is that I've just you know, my sobriety has become much more a part of who I am. Um, I stopped practicing law because it made me nuts. And I now like a nonprofit executive at an organization that does things like provide mental health and addiction services to underserved people. Um, you know, and that's my friends are mostly people in the program. And I'm married to a woman I met in the program. Um, and that's not for everybody, you know, obviously the AA doesn't, recovery doesn't have to become so central to, to everyone's life in order for them to get sober and be happy. Indeed, for most people, I think that's not the case. Um, but for me, it's been, it's been important um, because I just can't lose sight of kind of how precarious um, our position is when we're not consciously working on maintaining our spiritual condition. And, you know, I am not necessarily a person of faith, but I, I do think that this is in certain respects a, a spiritual malady and that I don't really know how else to classify um, the, the irrational difficulty I have had um, kind of doing life <laughs> until the last five or 10 years, um, considering the you know relative advantages that I started with. I, I think you know it is, um, it is a spiritual malady and what I've found in these rooms and more really not, not so much in the words on the page as in the connections you make with other people here 
is a cure for that spiritual malady that, that gives me a sense of purpose and meaning and kind of allows me to, um, you know, get through days where I'm, I'm not happy, I'm not um, joyous or free, but I don't have to pick up a drink. Um, and I don't know, I'm rambling now and uh, I'm going to stop talking, but I appreciate you all listening to me ramble. And I appreciate, uh, you know, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, what it's given me. Thanks.